Welcome to the BJU Press Teacher Edition Podcast, where Christian educators are encouraged and inspired as we bring you interviews, practical ideas, strategies, and answer your questions about teaching in today's culture. And here's your host, Jenny Copeland. Welcome to today's episode of the Teacher Edition Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and I know you're going to find today's topic incredibly relevant. As we get started, let me remind you to take a minute to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss one single episode with our fantastic guests. I also want to encourage you to go to Apple Podcasts, find Teacher Edition Podcast, and leave us a review. That actually really helps others find the show as well. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are Teacher Edition Podcast on Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Teacher Edition Pod. Once again, that's Teacher Edition Pod. And lastly, we are looking for your questions. So I want to invite you to go to our website, teachereditionpodcast.com. There you can subscribe to our emails and read more about the podcast, but you can also submit your questions. These are questions that we share at the end of most of our episodes, so you'll want to check that out. It's a simple click of a button, and you can record your question. Today, though, we have a special treat. We actually have a live audience, so we'll be taking questions from them near the end of today's episode. So I'm really excited to have Dr. Shane Blanton with us today. Shane is the Executive Director of the Mid-South Association of Independent Schools, which has 130 schools in three states, serving more than 50,000 students. So he previously served as the head of school at both boarding and day schools. And interestingly enough, he also served as an intelligence officer in the U.S. Army. And personally, I find that a fantastic connection with being the head of a school and being an intelligence officer, but we're not going to park there. So he holds degrees in political science, public policy and administration, educational leadership, and then his doctorate in educational leadership and research. Shane actively serves in so many ways in education. He serves on boards as an adjunct professor, and he also writes. Shane and his wife, Dawn, live in Mississippi, and they have four sons. So Shane, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks for being. I was thrilled that Shane was willing to join us for the podcast, and we were chatting about some ideas for topics, and the topic of post-pandemic education came up. Of course it did, right? Because that's what we talk about these days. So that topic really caught my interest, and it really seemed to be one that would resonate with such a wide audience of Christian educators everywhere. So here we are, two years, give or take, from a pandemic, and it remains a topic. We seem to deal with its after effects constantly. And honestly, it has changed education for the foreseeable future. I'm quite confident that a show of hands from listeners would confirm that the effects are deep and wide and they're not partial to small schools or large schools, preschools or high schools. Some ask, when will this end? When will it be history? But I don't think we're anywhere near that point. So Shane, you work with schools every day. I'm confident you see the footprint of the pandemic and the surrounding chaos. What do you feel are the main issues schools and teachers are facing as a result of the pandemic? I think there's a few things that that are in front of us with just what the pandemic, I, I think it exposed a lot of things. And I think you, just the dysfunction that we had in schools I think the struggles academically, sort of where we sit, it just sort of, um, there was a struggle to just see it. It, There was just, before we were just sort of in the process and the pandemic sort of stopped and threw chaos into the mix. And so, you know, we talk about sort of uh, dysfunction that's been institutionalized has got to be removed before we sort of make progress. And so 
if you look before and then you look at the pandemic and then you look afterward, are we really doing what we're called to do? And But I think that that it's just really that dysfunction in every area. Are, are we as teachers, are we doing what we should be doing? Are administrators equipping and preparing students, schools, their leadership? Are we doing the professional development that really drives? Do we have the right curriculum? Are we doing those things that need to be done? Have we looked at it sort of holistically? Have we mapped out our curriculum and sort of said, what does it look like if a child starts here and finishes? And those type of things. And so I, I think that is, they're just sort of all the results. They're sort of in front of us. I think there were things we talked about it in the last session uh, or today um, that we just never really wanted to talk about it. We never really wanted to look at sort of what's the issue. And we really didn't want to discuss it in an open meeting because it, it pointed the finger. I teach fifth grade or I teach sixth grade and those numbers are low. It, but I think we, if anything, we use the pandemic to our advantage and move forward. Okay, so with those issues in mind, what do you feel are the main causes for those challenges? So we, we're quick to say COVID did it, or it's because of the pandemic, but is it deeper than that? I think it's absolutely deeper than that. I think that the, the pandemic did a couple of things, but I think really two just jump out at you. It exposed our families and it exposed our churches in that what are we doing in sort of the relationship aspect and that, you know, in the spring when we all sort of went home and and did what you know, what we thought we needed to do and those things and how do we educate, what do we do? It forced us to be a family. We had to rethink sort of children at home, who's taking care of this, what are we doing, how do we do it? The Everything sort of shut down and we didn't like it very much. We were not used to it. Um, we we haven't had conversations. We're managing, you know, devices that sort of infiltrated our homes and this brought us sort of back to a relationship and it's difficult, you know. One of the hardest things that my wife and I have ever done, I think, is homeschooling our children. We classically homeschooled our children while I ran a boarding school. It was the upper grades. And it's sad when your education runs out, when you're teaching second and third grade to your children, and you're sitting here with advanced degrees, and you're struggling. Just You depend on whether your child's going to get out of it or not. You know? and, and, and I laugh, but, but that sort of brought all those realities back into every family. And then the other is just the church, the nature of leadership and sort of um, presenting the gospel, sort of the light in the darkness as opposed to a fear. I think it created a fear. And then, a, you know, the, the, that fear sort of pushed us whether we should go back to school or not. And so it brought it all back in on top of us. And so you, you do some things that sort of put kids behind and then you put them back into schools that were sort of already very industrial or factory model as a whole. And the system was difficult. And then so much money and so much resources were spent on sort of devices and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. How do we do that? And then you look at sort of kids missed it. You know, the thing that I think that we see, we, we saw, if you look at research, a lot of student apathy before, just not wanting to go to school or the why. We teach in the process, but not why do we do this? Why is this important? Why do I need this? And, and, it showed that they could miss six months or a year and be okay. And that's problematic. And then if you, you look at the other side of it, why do they go to school or why do they like school? They like their peers, but they really form relationships with teachers. And we've removed that. And, you know, we struggle with where, how much online, how much things should we do? 
it's it's those. And I think we can use online stuff effectively. And I think some people did it in an outstanding manner, but it's how do you build a relationship and do that? Sure. So we vividly remember the responses or maybe better yet, reactions on all fronts during the pandemic. Wear this, stay this distance, take that, avoid this, fund this. I think we can agree that education is not immune to such a response either. So in an effort to address or stop these educational issues that you just shared, we have experienced a number of responses. Maybe knee-jerk reactions would be a really good term for that. So what reactions have you observed? You're in and out of schools, you're working with school leaders. What reactions have you observed and how would you rate their success in solving those challenges? I think we've been slow. Yeah, I, I think I agree. that we've struggled I mean, you, you said it in your intro that the pandemic just, just sort of lingered. I think people are tired of hearing it. Yes. And we just sort of, I think there's a fear that we're going to, something else is going to happen or, or when or sort of what, but it created a sort of a, a, a discontent. And, and I think it's sort of come to rest in our schools. I mean, you know, you think about what stopped and what started back. Our families and all those things that we did are, were still functioning, but school stopped and then it's picked back up. So there's a lot of those issues just sort of were displaced for a period of time and came back in. And so um, I think the some are just trying to do it the way we did it before. And I'm not sure that that's fair. Uh, I think that some are not really wanting to discuss the issue sort of that what we talked about in that previous question about how do you really look at the data and do we want to change what we do? Um, but I'm seeing some encouraging things as well. If you look at elementary, if, if we believe sort of the, you know, the three R's, what reading, writing, and arithmetic, if that's key to making successful elementary, how are we focusing at our time? You know, how do we regain the day? How do we win it? We're not here to socialize for all hours of the day, but it needs to be a very structured time. They're not here to play. We're here to, to be about a purpose. And, and, and are we doing it? The other is I see some departmentalization as opposed to sort of self-contained. And I know there's, you know, cost associated with it, but if I'm a great teacher of math, but I may not be as, as, as gifted in English or writing or those things, but if I'm self-contained, it's just like in homeschooling, we, we learn that. You see children, particularly that make its way into our schools, sometimes they're exceptional in one area. I, the parent, may be an engineer, an astronaut, whatever. So they're flying through those. But in the other, maybe literature or those, they may not be as strong or vice versa, just depending on sort of our skill sets as parents. The same way with children making their way through elementary, that's been primarily self-contained through sixth grade for a lot of our schools. And so I'm seeing some people begin to sort of peel those levels back. I'm seeing a lot of things happen in middle school that I think are successful. We've got a couple of people that are, that it's an entry point for most of our schools. And as you, I'm seeing them doing two maths and three, you know, three types of literature. So how do you catch kids up, but how do you, how do you accelerate those that are advanced? And so if you have math, one that's focused on skills and sort of skill development and sort of misfacts or whatever, and then the other sort of pushing forward with algebra and algebra two and those things and those kind of those accelerated, but also helping to make sure I have all the skill set to be successful sort of with the swath of, of classes mathematically that we offer. And then the other, I think we have an English language crisis. Our children do not know how to write. It, they have a hard time. They don't enjoy reading. 
uh, they enjoy reading in social media, you know, post or, or 40 character mm-hmm. blast, but they, they're not reading. And, you know, then we're bombarded with images. And so I think how we communicate and sort of what's in front of it. But I'm seeing those middle schools really produce some solid results. And you'd say, well, what, what about science? What about some of those things? If you're sort of, you just rattled off five classes. And it would tell you that if you have a child that is great with their numeracy and literacy skills, then, then science, I can teach them science. And it doesn't matter, you know, that if they have a great command of all their numeracy skills, physics, all of those things are going to come and teach them to think and do those things. And so, um, and then high schools has sort of been the hardest part. You, you, you sort of, what does it look like? And I think we still grapple what it looks like. I think that some challenges from higher ed and what's happening at that level, uh, their economic system is broke. The, you know, they're losing students. And so uh, the venture of moving into sort of the K-12 space vast difference in what it looks like but you know if the pandemic did anything it sort of made our children see well we can probably just go on to the local university because of the way this equipped us um and and i think you know the other thing that i think is knee-jerk in 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 that is we see we sort of technology is good so we gave it to everybody for better or for worse well we didn't teach them digital citizenship we didn't teach them the why we didn't we didn't use it as a tool we sort of we set it up as sort of the thing. And I think it's a tool in the process of learning as opposed to, and then when do we introduce that? So those make sense? Maybe? Oh, absolutely. Definitely. So there's much to talk about the school, but we know that with every student comes a parent or a guardian. So where do they fall in all this? What is their role? Maybe even especially as we move forward. It's made us more anxious. Definitely. It's made us take an inventory of kind of, our hopes and our fears. It just sort of has set us up to, um, it's brought everything to the, to the forefront. And, and it's even, it's emboldened. So our kids, if we have older kids, is sort of in the context of just sort of all of this, they have opinions and now we're sort of all in this together. And if you don't have a, a good family structure and most of us were too busy to begin with, you look at sort of the, the explosion of sort of travel sports and sort of what's happening outside the classroom. Now, one of the things that we struggled with as an association during the pandemic, and I'll just go ahead and plug it since we're on the air, Mississippi went to school more than any any group, our MAIS in any group in the country, you know, sort of collective group. And and we had to fight hard for that. We were talked bad about in certain circles that, you know, most of the elected officials have children in our schools, but they wanted me to be more complacent or more compliant, whatever the word, the C word you want to use to, I should fall in line. But they were also happy and they attended every sporting event or when we were back in school. And so, but, but with that, um, it just, it, it, we're busy. And I think you added a sort of an, the pandemic of chaos or whatever around it, it just, it sort of exposed it pretty heavily. And we, you know, and the churches, we, we didn't meet regularly. So we, we were sort of there. And, um, and I think that had an impact on our children. One of my children was at the university. He was going off. Um, that was his first year. So he was sort of that pandemic graduate when they stopped, you know, and then came back. And, and I would tell you, looking at him now, 
his experience. He he didn't enjoy the sort of the first year back when every when the rules are sort of hard and sort of restrictive and sort of you know you think of sort of going off to the university and in the time of social and growing and all that. He didn't have it. He didn't he didn't enjoy it. I mean, so um, and I know I don't know that enjoyment is really the key, but but it. There's a group of kids that I see, yeah, but to be with the him, yeah. it changed the experience. It's different. Um, it, you know, but as looking at my four children, we often, you know, sort of compare. We shouldn't, but we do. Um, Each one's different. That's right. The good ones are they take all of my traits, and the others have dogs. Duly but, noted. Um, <clears throat> but don't be, don't listen to anyway. But um, he is able to have conversations sometimes better about sort of because con- contextually he experienced it. And he's in the middle of it, and he still hadn't finished, uh, you know, his his undergraduate degree yet. But he he's there, he's making progress. He's probably been the most studious student of of my poor boy. He he's working and sort of doing. He wanted sort of the connection, so he's done some things different. Sure, faced than different the challenges. Yeah. And you know, and so I think there was a lot of anger, anxiety from us as adults, and sort of what it did to us, whether it was economics over our family and sort of the struggles that it put us into, just being told no and we don't like that and the freedom aspect in our families or just we want to do what we want to do and you won't let me i'm seeing it in children it's different and uh, you know he's a young adult but it's just sort of different how it played out in their lives and it'll be interesting to watch that sort of age group the the before group the sort of the group that graduated then and then the year afterwards um and you know the thing that i think that you hit on some with that is just we can't hang on to this forever Right. We have to learn from it. Yeah. Move on. Know that God allowed it and be prepared to make us better from it. Right. So the heart of the Teach Tradition podcast is to uplift and encourage and provide practical insights and advice, of course, from biblical a biblical worldview. So we've spent time today talking about the challenges, the causes, the responses. So as we wrap up the episode... What would you say to teachers and administrators, both by way of encouragement and advice, as they continue to face these challenges here two years later as we start a new school year? I think it has to do with truth and and relationships and then knowing your why. I think as you look at all of the pieces, it's really foundational that we're honest with people and that we, as we're talking about sort of where your child's success, strengths and weaknesses are, that we're more narrative, we're more mastery-based, that someone sits down with me and it hurts. And it's a difficult discussion to say, your child, and there's some issues. But I think we know truth is important. And, and truth is also delivered better in a relationship. So as I challenge teachers is form those relationships. You know, I, one of the things we talked about this week was just the fear that divides parents and teachers and sort of both sides. And, and I think, you know, if we know scripture is true and that we have an adversary that would love to see us not be about the task we're called to do. And so that fear, the spirit of fear, the Lord didn't give that to us, but a power and of sin. And so I think as you look at the fear, you've got to truth and sort of, are you communicating? Sometimes we don't do that. We pull back in or sort of our own classroom. And then the other is just sort of the why. And why are you do? Are you purposeful in your classroom? Is your school purposeful? Are you accomplishing the mission that's sort of set there? So I think, you know, the, some teachers will say that's larger than this and, and those things. 
Um, the other thing that I would encourage to do with teachers, and we take a lot of groups to other schools, and I think there's no better opportunity, and y'all are good with, with Bob Jones and how you do that and sort of bringing people in, the VIP tours and all of that. But I think for us to see other people doing something, good or bad, right? I can come Absolutely. watch you, and if, you're, if your operation is not effective, sure. it's easier for me to see you and your situation, school, whatever it is, business, what, but, you know, what's functioning properly and what's not. But we don't do a lot of that. We've, we're so busy. It's hard for us. Teacher shortages, all of those things keep us from really building a community. We, one of our goals this year in our association is just really build an intentional community around our teachers. And so I think it starts at a school level, and I think it moves to a regional level. And I think I don't think even we understand is, you know, the auditorium is full with teachers is the power that you had. Um, very different from a government school in that, you know, theirs is a common sort of set of values and um, really more industrial in mindset. And ours is not. Ours is that academic rigid, a biblical worldview and really targeting what you believe in why so that at the end you can articulate that. And, and their team in that process. Yeah, makes a big difference. Very insightful, very practical. And I wish, as I'm sure you do, that we could pass out reset buttons or maybe those easy buttons or something. Unfortunately, that's not the case. But that being said, it's comforting, as you pointed out, to know that God oversees all this even pandemics, and even teachers working tirelessly to guide their students through these days. So he, you know, he has placed these teachers in these classrooms here and now for such a time as this. And we, we can't get away from that. We can't forget that. This is not overwhelming to God. This is not a mistake. He has us here right now for this opportunity. So we've covered a lot of ground today, but I'd like to take a few minutes if there are any audience questions. So for those in our audience, if you have any questions, just wave at us. We'll bring you a microphone so everyone can hear your questions. Thank you, sir. Uh, among the schools that you oversee, about how many became a one-to-one -one school uh, right after the pandemic? And how many of those schools remain to be such? I would say a majority of our schools and the, you know, the utilization of the, some of the money that was there um, allowed our schools that were not became one-to-one. -one. And I think it forced us to sort of, uh, if we were not prepared to, sort of in that stoppage in the spring. So I, I would say a majority of our schools moved to some, for the most part, moved to a one-in-one. -one. So out of 130 schools, I would say 85, 90% moved to, particularly in the upper grades, middle to, to high school, moved to that. I think the, the, the follow-up question is, is telling. And I don't know that They've remained one-to-one, -one. it's in the literature, it's in their marketing, but are they effectively using it? Is it a tool that they're using to, to advance it? And I don't see that. that that's probably significantly more or, or less as far as they're actually using it in the day-to-day -day operation. They're also, you know, the thing that I would say with that too, that as the teacher shortage, they've, they've realized they can use this as fallback and it's a, it's a cheaper resource and it shouldn't be. It's, it's not used appropriately. I think there's a place for online learning. There's a place for sort of all of that. But I think it really has to come in the mentor relationship, those, those facilitators of information, the, the relationship to what they crave. And so one-to-one, uh, -one, I think it brought computers into all of our schools, in either 
small numbers or large numbers. I do not see, you know, maybe 50% of our schools are still one-to-one and using it effectively. And, and I think the other, we could argue over des- definitions of one-to-one. It, the high schools have the devices, they own them, it's sort of there, but are they using them other than sort of a resource that we already used at home or some of those when we gave assignment? I hear re-emerging theme here that we need to re-engage. What strategies have you seen? And I know this is not an overnight sensation to fix everything, but teachers are burning out. Parents want to walk away, just drop the kids at the door. Uh, have you seen anything that works where even the smallest school could do something to get the parents back in and have that communication open back up for all involved in that school? I, you know, even at dinner last night, we were talking about sort of how to involve the parent. How do we engage the parent? How do we draw them into the process? And not that they're not. I mean, they're, they're paying to go to Christian schools. You know, there's a purpose behind why they're choosing our schools. They're making a sacrifice to do. But I, I think that we have to draw them back into it. it. You know, and the other is I think, you know, one of the things we'll talk about in sort of the solution side is that I don't know that our schools have, have really seized the day. I don't think they own the time. It, the time, had, we look at homeschool and they can effectively do things in two or three hours. And we're taking eight hours and why are we doing and sort of what's the purpose behind it. So I, I, I think you need to seize the time. And I think it's different at elementary. I think it's different at middle. And I think it's different at high school. We've all been sort of in this system. We're small. We're sort of those. We're using teachers across sort of divisions. But I think we need to seize the time. And so I think time management in a school so that it's the overall health of the school. The other is to realize that you're the only asset a school has or the teachers. And so you look at most of our schools, when we do accreditation, we look to see that 80 to 90 percent of the budget is spent on teacher salaries and those things. And so there's not a lot. If you want to change what you do, that that's sort of the thing. One of the discussions we were having was about just bigger is better or more numbers are better. And I think some of the things that I'm really seeing success is those schools that are smaller focusing on sort of how do we do things and drawing like-minded people together to do, as opposed to, you know, the, the bigger schools are getting bigger. They're growing. There's people wanting in the door. Our enrollment is up across the board in, in private, independent Christian schools. And so, but I think it really goes back to the dysfunction of the schedule. And, and taking care and understanding what we're actually doing in the classroom and what's our purpose behind it. And do we own the day? Let's be honest. If it is childcare, let's be honest about it. Let's educate and then let's provide. If there's a need, let's provide it. But it's different. Childcare is different from education, of, you know, in the in normal school day or feeding or whatever, or athletics, any of those things. It's components of a day. Great question. Do we have any others? Yes, sir. May I do a follow-up on, on my original question uh, concerning the, um, the devices? So assuming that a school has enough teachers to teach, would you um, try to encourage that school to get rid of the devices, the personal devices, the one-to-one philosophy in the classroom? That's a good question. Um, I think depending on the level, I, I'm not as big a fan 
of um, technology in our elementary schools. I think there's a place for it, but I think we have to be very careful that it, a lot of our families are using it as an electronic babysitter. And so I think there we talked about the phone and sort of the dopamine aspects that happen in our brain, that it's addictive. And I think you can see it anywhere you go that kids are riding in a grocery basket or they're shopping and they're glued to this. They can't ride in the car unless there's three movies playing and they have the ability to play a video game. And so I think it's age appropriate. So elementary, middle school, I really like the fundamental side. So I, I discourage some of those things, but I think it's intentional when you do introduce it. I think high school, you have to be purposeful about it because I think it's part of their lives. And so I think you have, I wouldn't talk them out of it, but I would say that there definitely needs to be, how do you integrate it? So I think that comes back to us as teachers. How do we teach teachers how to use and integrate technology with us in the classroom? Those great teachers, it's just a tool and they just move through it. It's requiring us to get better, particularly us that are older and have taught for a while. It's changing how we do business. And, and it's requiring us to sort of be ahead. It's requiring us to sort of, uh, you know, or we have to be comfortable in sort of being a part of their learning as opposed to the stage on the stage. It's, it's how are we sort of an integral part and it's okay. It's okay for us to be in that exploration together, but that's an older side. So I don't know that that answers your question, but I think it's at different levels. Uh, I definitely have some discussions about elementary because we had, a, you know, some of the resources that were coming in, we could have one-to-one -one for every child. I'm not sure a first grader or a second grader, or we'd, I'm not sure that that's, it may sound good in marketing material, but I'm not sure it's good for us pedagogy-wise in the classroom. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you to our live audience for your participation in the episode. And Shane, thank you for an outstanding, really thought-provoking conversation today. I personally have been encouraged and challenged. As we sign off, I want to remind all of our listeners to go to teacheredictionpodcast.com to submit questions for upcoming episodes. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Now, it's time to get back to our day. We have to know and believe that every day is an opportunity to impact and inspire through God's power and His grace working in us. Let's go do what God has called us to do.